Good morning and welcome to Brighton Road for this online service. My name's Tim Carter, I'm one of the ministers here. Thank you for joining us. At the moment we're following a series on people of prayer and this morning we're looking at Jesus' words warning against those who pray in a bit of a hypocritical fashion, those who say the words without really meaning them. At one point in Luke's Gospel he has a go at the scribes where he says, say long prayers for show but inwardly they're devouring widows' houses. What you see is not what you get in their case. In our worship this morning, I'm going to be using a number of readings from the Psalms, because it seems to me that if you're looking for genuine prayer, then the Psalms are the best place to begin. So our call to worship is taken from Psalm 145, verses 17 to 21. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever.
That song is based on the opening verses of Psalm 40. I'm going to read that psalm to you now. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I don't seal my lips. Lord, as you know, I don't hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins has overtaken me and I cannot see that they're more than the hairs of my head. And my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, ah, ha, 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 be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Don't delay. Psalm 40 is a strange psalm. Seems to get it backwards compared with the standard way of writing psalms. Normally you start by saying, God, I'm in so much trouble. And you end by saying, God, thank you for delivering me and being my saviour. Psalm 40 does it backwards. It starts with a celebration of God's deliverance and ends with a, a pretty frantic, desperate sounding prayer for God's salvation. It's an honest psalm. As all of them are, actually. Nobody wrote a psalm thinking, oh, if I write a really good psalm, this will get included in the collection. They're all open hearted, honest, sometimes searingly honest prayers to God. They always tell it like it is, sometimes prayers of praise, sometimes prayers akin to despair. How do you feel this morning? If God were to say to you, how are you today? How would you answer? Normally we, we brush other people off with, a, oh, I'm fine or, or mustn't grumble. But we can't do that with God. In our next song, uh, Tim Hughes sings, Every part of me you see, I'm an open book before you. So when God says to you today, how are you? What will you say to him? What three words sum up how you feel? And they might be positive. They might be negative. But in a few moments of quietness, can I invite you just to say, Lord, here I am. This is where I find myself today. I place myself in your hands.
Empty-handed, here I come I've nothing left to give you Take my heart and all I am Who else, Lord, can I run to? Every part of me you see I'm an open book before you Jesus, take me as I am I can come no other way Your arms are being Your arms are being out for me. Years of pain are washed away in the beauty of your presence. In this moment, every day. Perfect love will carry me Your arms have been enough for me Your We come now to the opening verses of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And some psalms just contain good common sense advice. Psalm 34 verses 11 to 22 comes into this category. Come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him 
will be condemned. To this God then, let's bring our prayers now. Hello, I am uh, Richard Dutabe, uh, County Director for Tier Fund uh, in Chad. Chad has been going through difficult times since the death of the President of the Republic during uh, a rebel incursion. Uh, since then, the political situation inside the country has been tense. The failure of the military junta to respect the provision of the constitution has led to demonstration and civil disobedience, which have been repressed by the security forces, resulting in several deaths, injury, and uh, arrestation. The political and social situation in Chad is very worrying. I would like to thank the congregation of Brighton Road Baptist Church who have decided to pray for Chad, for our programs, for the staff and their families, for our partners and for our beneficiaries. May God give wisdom to the leaders and the political class to manage this situation in a peaceful way for the preservation of peace and national unity in Chad. May God bless you. Amen.
And before David comes to speak to us, let me bring you the last of our readings, not from a psalm this time, but from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. During Jesus's ministry, he coached his followers on how they should pray. And today, in our series on people of prayer, we will consider his words in the Sermon on the Mount set down in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. In this passage, Jesus strictly warns us with two examples of how not to pray. And he illustrates them by describing the practices of two groups. He refers to the hypocrites, which is a thinly veiled reference to scribes and Pharisees, and he refers to the heathen. In the last week of his earthly ministry, Jesus came head to head with the temple hierarchy, and it was the temple priesthood who ultimately contrived his arrest and crucifixion. But throughout his entire ministry, both in Jerusalem and the provinces, including Galilee, Jesus's ever-present critics and adversaries were the scribes and Pharisees. These were the self-appointed lay group of experts in the law. It was they who regularly put Jesus to the test, and it was they whom Jesus, Jesus labelled as the hypocrites. The go-to chapter on this topic is Matthew chapter 23, in which Jesus repeatedly crying out, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, went on to list their errors. In our passage of Matthew chapter 6, we read about their practice of standing up in synagogues and on street corners, so that everyone would see and hear them as they prayed. Now most of us, of course, will find ourselves standing up in church from time to time leading public prayer. So just in case we worry that we could be falling into much the same practice as hypocrites standing up in synagogues, we need to understand that the word hypocrite comes from a Greek word used to describe an actor acting out an assumed character. So the objection Jesus has to hypocrites praying in synagogues or on street corners was not that the prayer was public. It's because their prayers were a sham. They were not earnestly praying from the heart. They were not even doing it for God. They were simply praying as an act to impress onlookers. Jesus assures us that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is in the midst. And praying together in groups or as a congregation of believers is to be encouraged. It was, after all, standard practice amongst the apostles and the early church. But when it comes to personal prayer, the obvious way to avoid the risk of playing to the gallery, as the hypocrites did, is to spend time praying alone. So it was that Jesus advised, When you pray, go into a room by yourself and closed the door. The second strict warning Jesus gave was to avoid meaningless repetition like the heathen, who believe that the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. The perfect example of this must surely be that wonderful piece set out in 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah confronted the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. 
Elijah came up with the ruse that to show who is God, the prophets of Baal and he should each lay their sacrifice on the altar which had been topped with firewood, but that each should pray to their God to set their offering alight. Agreeing to this, the prophets of Baal went first, dancing wildly and chanting all morning, Baal, Baal, answer us. At noon, Elijah mocked them, Call louder! Perhaps your God is deep in thought or engaged, or on a journey, or fallen asleep. All afternoon they cried, still louder, gashing themselves with swords until blood flowed. But nothing happened. Finally, Elijah, to emphasise his point, had his offering drenched with twelve jars of water, and at the hour of regular sacrifice prayed a simple prayer. Lord God, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant. Immediately fire fell, and it was so fierce it consumed everything the water, the offering, the wood, the altar stones, and the surrounding earth. It was a case of one simple prayer to the living God, and the whole lot quickly went up in smoke. The lesson we learn from Jesus, and which was illustrated by Elijah on Mount Carmel, is that our God is not a simpleton to be bullied by mindless ranting and raving, He's our intelligent, omnipotent and omniscient God who delights in hearing those who present their heartfelt petitions. We need to distinguish persistence from vain repetition, of course. A couple of weeks ago, Tim taught us about the story Jesus told of a widow who repeatedly pressed her case before a judge but she succeeded because she persevered patiently with her worthy cause. She was not portrayed resorting to mindless chanting. So to summarise, in verses 5 to 8, Jesus issues warnings of prayer methods that are, are to be avoided. But if we were to sign off at this point, I think we could be missing a lot more that these verses say to us by way of encouragement. Firstly, I should explain that my personal take on prayer is that whilst our primary purpose is to present worship, petitions and intercessions to God, we are unconsciously doing much more. I look forward to hearing intercessions presented as a part of church service because it enables me to hear the personal concerns and thoughts of my brothers and sisters in Christ. When individuals pray, they are providing a window into their soul. The substantive purpose of our prayers is to worship God or petition Him, but simultaneously we are unconsciously testifying to the nature of the Spirit within us. Even when we pray alone in a closed room, Jesus reassures us that our Father hears, hears prayer offered up in secret. But he didn't guarantee that things said in secret wouldn't be heard by others. Eavesdroppers, if you like. In Luke chapter 12, verse 3, Jesus said that what has been whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Whilst Jesus said that of malicious words spoken behind closed doors, it will surely hold true for the worship of his saints. According to Paul, the Holy Spirit certainly overhears and lends us support, adding his eloquence to our inarticulate groans. And when we praise our God, praise our God privately, don't angels add their Amen? And if we find ourselves alone on our, on our knees forgiving someone who's wronged us, does God rejoice? knowing that principalities and powers have borne witness to the absolution. Jesus described the scribes and Pharisees 
as whited sepulchres, outwardly beautiful, but their prayers only serve to reveal the dead men's bones and corruption within. But for those who are Christ's, it's their prayers that confirm they possess that new heart and new spirit that have been promised. Finally, I come to the clause that hits me most in today's Bible passage. After warning us against babbling on like the heathen, Jesus concludes with those glorious words, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that an absolute gem? All the omniscience of a gracious God is brought to bear on knowing what our needs are, even when we may be unaware of them. But moving on from that, those words do beg the question, why do we ever need to pray at all when God knows all things? It's here that we catch a glimpse of fundamental issues of what God had in mind when he created us. It's not that he's a dictator wishing to be surrounded by puppets. He never wanted a team of robots. Our Father wants to hear what we have to say. And just like Jacob, we may discover that on our knees in private, we are wrestling with God and prevailing. But mostly, our prayers reassure him that his son did not die in vain. It's our prayers evidencing the spirit within us that confirm to him that Jesus won that chosen race the king's priests, the holy nation, God's own people, chosen to proclaim the wonderful acts of God, who called us out of darkness into his own marvellous light.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us evermore. Amen. Truth you love. 